The reason why uh, a couple times throughout the year what we love to do is, is we kind of love to step back, me and then my mother who's another teaching pastor here, um, and we want to give you kind of access to one of the best known or be- least known best secrets of Acts Church, which would be uh, the teaching pastor spouses. They're actually incredibly spiritually grounded people that preach to us on a daily basis, that my wife Amy is always giving me input in regards to my faith, and of course John is always doing that to Deb, but then the really cool part, of course, is John is then my father, um, so it's kind of an interesting intermixed thing, um, but my father is is a man who absolutely loves Jesus, and I wanted to just give you the opportunity to hear directly from him, instead of just always hearing it secondhand uh, through people like me or my mother who's talking about the stuff that we're going through, I wanted you to be able to hear from him. The, the thing that a lot of people don't um, maybe think about is if you are in a family, if you are married to, or if you're connected to the family of a family that's in ministry, guess what? You're in ministry, right? <laughs> there's, there's no like, well, I'm just married. I don't have to deal with that, right? It's like, no, you're, you're in it. Um, so, so John has lived this as far as being part of what it means to do this. Of course, he was part of our original church plant team as well that, that laid the foundations for what Acts Church would become. Um, and he's a very spiritually mature person that I wanted you to hear from. So would you do me a favor and would you give him some honors we do to the tower of power, too sweet to be sour, too hot to handle, too cold to hold, John Draper! Thank you. I appreciate that. Only. I think that, that's great. Yeah, aside I feel from, like I should have tights on or something. You should. You yeah, that'd be that, good, you know? right? off Come the top and, rope. Yeah. yeah. John Graper, aside from just being my dad, of course, and, and my, my mother, uh, Deb, who's another teaching pastor, her, her husband, he also is just part of our leadership team at Axe Church. He mm-hmm. is the director of our facilities. So he's the one who makes sure that this building, our other building, all the other stuff that we deal with as far as moving all the materials that we have and things I like try. that, the trailers, everything like that. He's the one who tries to keep track of all of that stuff to make sure we can accomplish those tasks. Um, so if you use something that was plugged into an outlet today or anything like that, that would be John Graper behind the scenes as far as making sure that that works. We got in this place, and I think we rewired about half this building already, yes, haven't we, we since we it got was, in It here, was so. interesting, yeah. It's it a was, good time. I spent more time on the ladder changing light bulbs than yeah. you didn't even want to know. That's interesting. Well, thank you so much you for know, bringing it's, God's It's interesting what you said, though, about being married into ministry, because yes. every joy of the church you laugh and pray for, and every tragedy you cry about, you know? It's true. Every, every day, <clears throat> your spouse brings home something and like, yeah. You know, and yep. you're not immune to that. No, know? it's hard being being the, the spouse because realistically, they're the only people, like if, if you guys have ever talked to us, they're the only people who we really trust that we actually pray together about, say, a situation that you might bring. Because yeah. as a pastor, you don't share that with anybody. You're, you're a lockbox. Yeah. And really, our spouse is the only person that we sit down with and we pray together about things that might be going on in people's lives because we don't have somebody else that we can bring that to because we're kind of bound to secrecy to say, we're going to pray for you and no one else is going to know about this. So our spouse is really that one person and we sit down with them, we can pray through. Well, a lot of times it's, it's, it's still secret too. Yes. A lot of times the devil will be like, you know, you need to pray with me about a person who yes. I can't share with you that's <laughs> having true. a problem that I can't that's tell true. you about. You Indeed. Know? Indeed. And uh, yeah, that's an interesting life to live. You're it right. Is. Being pastor's wife, as I call it. You know? <laughs> I'll yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. Go ahead, take it away. Well, um, thanks Cameron for that generous introduction, and I hope that all that stuff that he said, I can live up to some of that, so I'm not too disappointing for you all, stuff like that. Um, it is really awesome to get to stand here and, and look this way instead of looking this way. When I was planning this, 
I was wondering how intimidating this might be, you know, going from teaching in Acts Kids to teaching in the big church, but I guess, I guess this isn't so bad. You guys will probably cut me some slack if I start stuttering or something like that, right? Um, what is intimidating, though, is following four weeks of Craig Groeschel's teaching. Yeah, that's no fun. Thanks for that scheduling, Cameron. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about... Uh, you know, speaking and thinking about what makes Craig Groeschel so great, or the other guys like Andy Stanley, Stephen Furtick, you know, these guys that are so awesome to listen to, and, you know, they have such great content. Um, it seems like they're funny when they need to be funny, and they're serious when they need to be serious. Um, and you always take something home from their messages, you know, you can apply. I really, I really think they are the Billy Grahams of today, you know. Well, in lieu of one of those great speakers, Cameron's asked me to teach today. And not having any of the same skill set that they do, what I like to do is use what God's done in my life to teach other people about God. Um, I like to convey God's truths through stories. So today is going to be story time with John. Um, <clears throat> so one of the perks of getting to be up here instead of down there is you know, the guy with the microphone has control of the Wayback Machine. So I'm going to turn the knob way back to five years old. Um, can anybody remember actually being five? Okay, how about, can anybody remember their first bicycle? What about, here's a tougher one. Can you remember the color of your first bike? See, I can, I can picture mine. Mine was green with chrome fenders. Um, last hard way back question. Can anybody remember the first time they rode their first bicycle? So I can. I remember the night that my dad decided that those wussy training wheels were coming off. And I can remember being out in the street in front of the house under the street light, and I was pedaling, and he was running, hanging onto the seat, trying to keep me from getting killed, you know. And I remember pedaling up the street and down the street and up the street and down. I don't know how many times we went back and forth, you know. But what I remember was pedaling and noticing that I couldn't hear his footsteps. And I turned and looked back, and he was way back under the streetlight. He had just let go and trusted me to ride down the street by myself, which when you're five, that's a big deal, being trusted to ride down the street. It just sticks with me to this day, being trusted like that. And then I remember later... Um, that same feeling of trust when uh, I had got my learner's permit. And I remember one night we were all going to go to town, and he just handed me the keys to the car and said, you're driving tonight. And I remember how great it was to get to drive the family car. 73 Country Squire station wagon, you know, the full goober machine with the wood grain down the side, you know. Um, but what stuck in my mind even more was being trusted to drive the family car. And so that's what I wanted to talk to you all about today, is trust. Um, <clears throat> but probably not the usual lesson that you expect about trust. Um, I think normally when people have conversations about trust, you know, if you're teaching your kids or whatever, one of the things you always say is, you know, trust is not given, trust is earned. Or if you want to be trusted, you have to learn to trust. Or one of my favorites is, if someone cannot trust... They probably cannot be trusted. But what I want to talk about is somewhat contrary to those truths. Um, what I want to talk about is God's unearned trust. I want to share 
some real-world examples of unearned trust that I've experienced. And I'm hoping we can all learn a little more about God and how we might react when trust is offered to us. So first, I thought we should look at some examples from the Bible of unearned trust so we're all on the same page and you get what I'm talking about. Um, I think probably the biggest, best-known example of unearned trust would be Moses. Next to what Jesus did, God trusted Moses with perhaps the best-known event in all of biblical history, and that is to go before Pharaoh, demand that he let God's people go, and then lead them out of captivity and to the promised land. Um, There's probably not a lot of people in the free world that haven't heard the story of Moses or at least know Moses' name. So who was Moses to be trusted with this monumental event? Well, Moses was a murderer with a speech impediment. It says in the Bible, I mean, you probably have all read the story, that Moses was out for a walkabout and he came across an Egyptian beating a slave. And the Bible says after looking all around to make sure nobody was looking, Moses killed him and buried his body in the sand. That's murder. I mean, we can't cut him any slack. That's, that's murder. And then to escape uh, getting in trouble over that, Moses fled out into the wilderness. And while he was in the wilderness, God came to him, appeared to him as a burning bush. And part of the conversation that he had is in Exodus 3, 10, and 11. And it says, Now go. For I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Moses? Excuse me, out of Egypt. So Moses starts making all these excuses, uh, you know, about who am I to do this? And then he starts talking about how his words get jumbled up and he can't talk clearly and on and on about this and when I read this, or when I read it, I think, well, why a Moses in the first place? You know, why not a Job? Have you all ever read the book of Job? Um, it says in Job 1.8, Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. So that seems puzzling to me. Why would you pick a Moses, someone obviously flawed, compared to a Job? And then God did it again with Paul. You know, God trusted Paul to take the good news of Jesus to the rest of the world. You know, most of the apostles were primarily focused on ministering to the Jewish community. But God trusted Paul to go to the Gentiles. And then even more... You know, God inspired Paul to write about half of the New Testament. I mean, all over the world this week, there's probably pastors writing messages based on Paul's writings, which means millions of people will be hearing those messages. And so we think, well, who was Paul to have all this trust? Well, Paul was Saul, and Saul hated Christians. Saul spent his days persecuting Christians, sometimes violently. It says in the Bible that when the men were stoning Stephen to death, Saul held their coats. So he's at least accessory to murder, right? And then later, on the road to Damascus, God came and blinded Saul and asked him, you know, why are you persecuting me? 
Shortly thereafter, Saul had a conversion, and God changed his name to Paul. So I think these stories tell us a lot about how God divvies out his trust and who he shares his trust with, and also how we might react when the trust is given it to us. See, um, I think that if we're ever offered trust and we say out loud or we think in our head, who am I to accept this trust? You know, what am I? Who am I? I've never done anything. Well, there's a few things you, we could ask ourselves. Like, first of all, am I a murderer? Well, probably not, right? So, so right there, we've got a leg up on a lot of the people that God has trusted, right? I, I mean, we're a step ahead. Um, second, I've heard Pastor Craig Rochelle say something to the effect of, you are not who you think you are. And you are not who your friends say you are. You are who God says you are. And I think that's a good one to remember when, when you're thinking that. Who am I? Also, the Bible weighs in on this also. In, um, in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. You see, it's not whether or not we deserve the trust. I don't think God gives us trust because we deserve it. In fact, I think if God gave us what we deserve, we'd all be in big trouble. Amen? For sure. Um, so the thing we need to take out of that is what's super important is what we do with that trust. See, I believe that God has, or God currently is, or God will trust all of us with something. Now, at the time, we may not recognize it, that it's God trusting us with it. Um, but hopefully after today, you'll be able to pick that out. But again, the main thing is, is what do we do with the trust when God offers us? Um, so this one time... When I was a teenager, I was cruising around in my car, and so I'm driving down the street at night, and I come across this scruffy guy walking down the road. And up ahead of ways, there's this blonde chick. So I drive past this scruffy guy, and when I get up to the blonde, she flags me down. So I stop, you know, and I roll down my window, and I turn, and I give her my coolest, you know, how you doing, you know, trying to be <laughs> Rico Suave, you know. Anyhow, she tells me that this guy is drunk and he's been following her around and won't leave her alone. And so she wanted to know if I'd give her a ride home. So, you know, I'm thinking about what my parents told me. You know, you're not supposed to give people rides. And, and I'm thinking, like, if I get mixed up in this, am I going to have four flat tires tomorrow morning when I come out of the house? You know, you got all those things go through your mind. But I thought, okay, I'll be a nice guy. It seems like the right thing to do. So I give her a ride home. And 38 years later, we have two kids and three grandkids. So, I'm, uh, I'm not advocating picking up hitchhikers, but it worked for me. So, um, you know, you might ask, what's that got to do with, John, with God, John? Well, as it just so happens, I have photographic evidence 
that proves that God arranged all this. Now, that should interest you, right? I mean, if someone came up to you and said, listen, I've got a picture that proves that God exists and that he did this, you'd say, I want to see that picture, right? Well, I happen to have a couple grainy old pictures that were taken in this era of my life that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God exists. You want to put that picture up? So you see in this picture, at this point in my life, I can't even grow facial hair, right? Um, It's no secret that girls are not standing in line to go for a ride in my car at all. I feel that if ever there was a match made in heaven, it's, it's right there. Because on earth, those two people would never be together. You know? No, there's no way. But you see, seriously, when she asked me for a ride, what she was really saying was, I'm trusting you to get me home safe. I'm trusting that I won't be a face on a poster somewhere. You know? So what's so important is what you do with that trust. Accepting that trust that night forever changed my life for the better. So last night, I asked Deb, what was the most important thing that I, she ever trusted me with? And she said, our kids. Now, you've had a night to sleep on that. Do you, want to, do you want to keep that answer, or do you want to trade it in for a new one? My heart, which is my children. Your heart, which is your children. Oh, okay. Because so, I thought maybe her heart was the biggest thing, but your heart is your children. That, that's a good answer. I, I, I like that. Yeah, I like, I like that. That's good. Um, oh, one more thing. Can you guys put that picture back up again? I... Um, I got to get a little disclaimer here. Um, obviously, this is the era of feathered back disco hair and tube tops. My, my wife wanted to make sure that everybody knew that she wasn't walking around topless for this picture. You know, that wasn't. And, and also, I, I have to be honest and do full disclosure here. If, if you look at what I look like and you look at what she looks like, the odds that I wasn't going to give her a ride that night, they're pretty small. And, in, in all reality. And um, this isn't by no means the only time that God offered me trust for my betterment. Um, later in life, I found God or God found me and I started attending a church. And I got to know the pastor, got to know the elders of the church. And at some point, uh, the pastor asked me if I wanted to be a greeter. He said, you'd be a good greeter, John. Why don't you join the greeting team? And so right away, I start in with the Moses excuses. Who am I to represent this church? Who am I to represent God? You know, I don't know anything about the Bible or Christianity yet, you know. And I mean, I, re- I had Moses down. I, you know, like, I, I can't remember names. Or I'd be a horrible greeter. So I, I turn him down. No, I don't want to be a greeter. And then at some point down the road, one of the elders asked me if I wanted to be a counter. And I said, okay, I'm pretty good at math. I could, I could count. So every week after church, a group of us stayed, and we opened all the giving envelopes, you know, and counted all the money, made out a deposit. And then, you know, you had to write in a journal who gave what so they could get giving credit at the end of the year. And I was quite honored that they would trust me with this. Um, not trust me with the money, because stealing from a church is probably, you know, a go-to-hell instantly ticket, you know. Uh, it's, it's trusting you with being discreet, because people don't like other people to know what they give. So you had to be very discreet. So I was pretty honored with this, and, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to be a counter, I'm going to be a great counter. You know, I'm going to show up every week. I'm not going to make any mistakes, you know. I'm, I'm going to do my best. But as always, no matter how hard I put into something, God always gave me more out. This, 
this counting gig became a small group for John. Every week I was locked in this room with these older, more mature Christians. And I learned so much about just, you know, fellowship, friendship, and, and what it is to be a mature Christian, you know, how mature Christians think and what they say and why they say and, and the whole thing. It, it so fast-forwarded my faith. Um, I, I tried to put so much into it, and again, I got so much more out of it. Down the road a piece, um, they asked me to be a greeter again. And so I had matured some by then, and so I said, okay, I'll be a greeter. And I absolutely loved it, just loved it. And I, I kicked myself in the butt. Like all that time, I could have been greeting, and, and I turned it down. Um, I just thought it was the greatest thing. We had six doors going in and out of the auditorium, and I always asked to be on one of the busiest doors, so I got to talk to the most people. And it was pretty cool because people are quite creatures of habit. You know, They tend to come and sit in the same areas each time. So I got to know the people in my section, you know, you'd talk to them. Sometimes they'd even ask you to pray for them. It was really cool. Um, you, you could ask them about their kids and stuff like that. Um, and I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to be a greeter, I'm going to be a super greeter, right? So back at my chair by the door, you know, I was all stocked up. I had Kleenex in case somebody needed. I had cough drops in case they developed a cough during the service. I had gum. I mean, I was a regular hotel concierge there. I was, I was set, you know. And I remember one day this woman come up, and she wanted to know if I would hold her new baby while she powdered her nose. And I was so honored by that. And, and I know it's easy to think, well, so what? You got to hold a baby. Everybody holds a baby. But in my mind, when someone trusts you with the most important thing in their whole world, that's quite an honor. And... And I learned so much about the satisfaction of serving and the joy of, of serving. Again, I, I tried to put as much as I could into being a greeter, and God gave me so much more back out. You, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Now, I know that most of this stuff that I've talked about has been church-related, but that by no means is like the limits of God. You have to understand that God is alive and he's active in your relationships. God is there in your marriage. Uh, He is definitely there at your workplace. So you never really know where God's going to offer you trust. We just have to be mature enough to accept that trust when it's offered to us. Um, I wanted to give you a real-world application, kind of a a Trust 101 example. So we we bring this down to the grassroots level so you get what I'm talking about. So let's say, for instance, you're attending a small group, and our small group director, Amy, comes to you and says, I've attended your group, and you are the key to that group. You're why that group is so successful. I think that you should lead your own group instead of just attending one. So before you start making up a bunch of Moses' excuses as to why you shouldn't, you might want to consider trusting that trust that's offered to you. So now we kind of come to the moral of all these stories. God gives us unearned trust. With that trust comes additional responsibility. But responsibility almost always makes us a better person. I think that probably one of the most brilliant speakers on the lecture circuit today is Dr. Jordan Peterson. 
He is so brilliant, um, so relevant. If you haven't had the opportunity to listen to any of his lectures or see any of his interviews, I highly recommend it. The, the, the guy is just, just awesome. But anyhow, one of the things that he tells young men when he's lecturing at universities is, if you want to make the world a better place, if you want to make your world a better place, then pick up the heaviest thing you can bear and carry it. I, th- I just think that's great. Um, now, that's going to vary from person to person. You know, the heaviest thing that one person might be able to bear might be mowing lawns part-time. And for another person, the heaviest thing they might be able to bear might be having a child or adopting a child. But, you know, the thing we have to remember is whoever we are, wherever we're at, our lives are always going to be better with the added responsibility of God's trust. Now, thank you. If there's one thing that you take home today, I want it to be this. God gives us unearned trust. With that trust comes the weight of additional responsibility. He doesn't give us that responsibility because he needs us to carry it. He gives us that responsibility because we need to carry it. Okay, I'm going to say it again. God doesn't trust you. He doesn't give you the weight of additional responsibility because he needs you to carry it. God gives you the weight of additional responsibility because you need you to carry it. If you take take the examples that I've given, God didn't need me to be a counter. I needed me to be a counter. God didn't need me to be a greeter. I needed to be a greeter. And I think this applies through all of our walk with God, all of our Christian life, no matter where. Like I said, pick a subject. God doesn't need me to tithe. He owns everything in the world. It's all his. I need me to tithe. God doesn't need me to come and sing and praise and worship him. I need to come sing and praise and worship him. And, and, and I think this whole service, God doesn't need me to show up each week, listen to a message, and let him speak into my life. I need to show up each week and let God speak into my life. You know, um, I was thinking about it, and, and I'm not sure how it is that I came to be standing on this stage. But I think it's because sometime in my past, I matured enough to trust the trust that God was given me. At some time in the past, I think he offered me some trust. I tucked up under me, underneath my arm, and I ran with it. And this isn't the biggest thing he's trusted me with. I think teaching in kids is a far heavier weight than this. Now, I've talked a lot about the need to trust the trust. So what I wanted to do was to share with you all the first time that I trusted God. Uh, my family got saved a long time before I did. They were attending church for quite a while. I think they prayed for me for like seven years or something like that. I was kind of a holdout. Um, I didn't not believe, or I didn't think church was bad. I didn't think that like God didn't exist. I just had other stuff I wanted to do on Sundays, you know. And I would go on occasion when they invited me, but 
It was really a big thing with me that I wasn't a hypocrite. I, I didn't want to be those people, you know, like a phony Christian. I told my wife that either it was going to be real or I was going to be fishing. But, you know, I wasn't just going to show up. So uh, at some point they invited me to go because there was a special speaker at church. And so I went, you know, it's cool. And he did a really good job. Um, he had a good message. I can't say I can remember exactly his whole message, but it was good. Um, but when it was over, I was ready to go. Um, and then he prayed for people. So, I mean, that was typical. So everybody bowed their head and closed their eyes, and he prayed. Uh, and then he did a salvation call, you know, if anybody wanted to accept Jesus. And I think a couple people did. And then he prayed for them. Um, and then he did a salvation call again. And then he prayed. Uh, and then he, you know, he, he started in again. You know, I still think there's someone here that needs to accept Jesus. You know, and by this time, I'm tapping my foot. I'm ready to go. You know, I'm like, come on, let's wrap this up. You know, um, now having been in the church for a while, it, like like some of you may have, you may know people where you see them change. Maybe they come in on week one and they're really rough around the edges, and a few months later, you can just see they're a different person. You can see that they're, they're changed, and you know they're like about this far from accepting Jesus. Okay, that wasn't me. I have my head bowed, and I'm literally screaming at the pastor. I'm like, come on, wrap this up. And in the middle of my scream, God tapped me on the shoulder and spoke in my ear and said, it's your turn, John, and boom, up went my arm. I mean, it gives me the willies to this day when I think about it. It was so real. I'm telling you, God is as real as anything that you know. I mean, that tap on the shoulder and that voice in my ear was as real as my hand is in front of me. I mean, I was screaming at the pastor when that happened. I wasn't one of these people like, you know, should I raise my hand or not? I'm thinking about it. Is it my turn or not? I mean, I'm yelling at the pastor when, and God, your turn, John. Since that day, I've, you know, learned a lot more about God, read the Bible a lot more, and I've come to understand what that meant that day, the trust that I put in God and what he offered me. I, I come to understand that I was a sinner. I didn't think of myself as a sinner. I thought I was a pretty good guy, you know. I don't believe in lying, stealing, and cheating or anything like that, you know. Um, but by God's standards, I was a sinner. And I learned that God sent Jesus to die on the cross to atone for all my sins. Um, and that really sank at home as how bad I needed God, you know. And then I realized that the road to hell is wide and that there's many doors to get you to hell, but only one to get you to heaven, and that's through believing in Jesus. Um, you know, this, this whole message is about trust, and, and remember that, you know, Faith in God isn't believing in God, it's trusting in God. Uh, and that, that's the key to it, the trust. So since that day, my faith has grown, which means my trust has grown. So I wanted to pray for you all and give everyone here the same opportunity that that pastor gave me that day um, in case it's your day. So Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to come speak today. And I pray, God, that, that some of my message 
goes home with some people. I pray that it, it changes them. I pray that it, it changes how they think about God and how they look at opportunities and trust when it's offered. And if anyone's listening to my voice today, either here or at home, if this is your day, if today the day God is, is tapping you on the shoulder, if he's yelling in your ear, then don't miss the opportunity to trust God. Look up, raise your hand if it's you today. Don't miss out on that opportunity to trust God. So if someone out there, if it's your day, even if you're too timid to raise your hand, I'm going to say a prayer with you. We're all going to say the prayer so that you don't feel singled out, okay? Lord God, thank you for uh, believing in me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I confess out loud that I accept you as my Lord and Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you today. Great work. Terrific. I, I love the application of that message. Yeah. I love how that carries through towards everything as far as us well, accepting. The, the idea of trusting. When he told me the idea of trusting the trust, I was like, I don't know if I understand that. Fully understand it, that idea of trusting. Um, yeah, because that is kind of almost like what so much of our faith is, right? We don't fully know, but we're kind of just trusting that if God is calling us towards something, that we step into it, right? We lean forward into it. E- even tiny know. little things. Yeah. Who am I to be a greeter? Are you kidding? Yeah. You smile. Yeah. I mean, but I didn't think I yeah. was. Like, who am I to be a greeter? You've got to trust that trust. A little over a year and a half ago, right? Who am I to be a dad, right? But you've got to trust the trust because it's, it's coming, right? Well, it well, happened. Well, well yeah, that's that, that thing. And, and, you know, sometimes pastors see things in people that other people don't see, and you yeah. have to trust that. That's good. You know, when you say, you would be a good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I love it. Thank you, Sam. Very good. Very good. All right, so.